Good morning. Chad was in Pennsylvania, like he said, this week, which meant that I had a non-stellar week as a mom. Chad said, how was your week? I said, not good. Work was awesome. Home was terrible. I find myself, the longer I'm in relationship with the Lord, becoming more sober about what he calls good. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in a passage, John 21. And the story will be familiar to most of you, many of you who have followed along in the Gospels. The story has a character by the name of Peter in it. And if we just pick it up there, we might miss a couple of the nuances that would help to put a lot of emotion behind the story. So I don't want to pick it up there. I actually want to pick it up in Luke. Uh, Let's go to Luke 5. Luke 5. Do we have that? If we don't, I can go to it really quickly. Yeah, we have it. Simon Peter, that's who we're talking about here, answered. And this is early on in their relationship, early on in in them knowing one another, Jesus and Peter. He said, Master, we've caught, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So what happened in the right part of this is that, that Jesus had been speaking And he had used Peter's boat to go out into the Sea of Galilee and to speak to the masses. And after he was done, he looked at Simon Peter and said, hey, go out a little bit deeper into the waters and put your nets out. And this was Simon's response. His response was, we've we've already done it. We've already tried it. And I'm adding this, but out of respect for you. Out of respect for you, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. From now on, you will be fishers of men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him, followed Jesus. This is where it all began. He's right there in his vocation, doing what's familiar to him, doing what's normal to him. In a a situation where all night long they put that net over the side of the boat, caught nothing. Professional fishermen didn't catch a thing out of respect for Jesus being rabbi and being a good teacher. They said, well, I'll, I'll give it a try out of respect for you. Lo and behold, there comes this mass of fish. And instead of them going, wow, God of abundance, it was, oh my gosh, I'm so sinful. I'm 
I'm so sorry. Jesus assigned to him, you will no longer be fishermen. You will be fishing for men. So now Simon Peter has this relationship with Jesus, right? He's one of these premier disciples that we get to follow, learn from. He has a couple of moments here and there for sure. But he goes on and and he has this relationship with Jesus that's lasting a number of years. And and so here we are, we're picking it up in John 21. Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected and he's already had a visit or two, two of them with the disciples. They've already seen him in person. So the disciples know that, that he's alive. They know he's resurrected. But these encounters have been wild. I mean, when they found out, when Mary found out that, that Jesus wasn't there, she, she's running back and, and finding, telling the disciples, and Peter and John were the ones that were running to the tomb and looking in and didn't see him there, totally disappointed. They go on back home, and Mary's the one who has this encounter with who she thought was a gardener. turns out it's Jesus. And now Mary's going back to the house and going, I'm telling you, I saw him. I saw him. And then, sure enough, that same day, that night, Jesus comes in, to their space and their home, and he proves that he is the resurrected Messiah. Thomas wasn't there. That was disappointing. Thomas said, I'm not believing it until I see it for myself, and I'm going to put my finger inside the palm of his hand. That's how far this is going to have to go before I believe it. Sure enough, (laughs) Jesus said, okay, I'll meet you where you are. And eight days later, that's where he was. Jesus found himself. He put himself in that home so that Thomas could see it for himself. So now we are at another reveal of Jesus. And this one's a little bit different. So let's go to John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Same spot, same spot years earlier that Simon Peter fell on his face before him. He was called a fisher of men. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. There were seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. When Simon said this, in his context, he wasn't just at a place that he knew of Jesus. He now was at a place that he has revelation of who he is. He now has history with Jesus, relationship with him. He's now walked with Jesus. He can talk about it. He can tell stories. He's mature in his relationship with Jesus. He can recount the miracles that Jesus told. And he can recount the one-on-one conversations that he had with him. He's been with Jesus when Jesus was asleep. And he's been with Jesus when Peter woke up to see that Jesus had gone to spend time with his father early in the morning. So he knew him really well at this point. Which I would think would make the history that he had with his relationship with Jesus all the more painful. 
see, for Peter, he had a moment where he looked at Jesus in the eye and said, I'll go with you. Where are you going? I want to follow you. And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter, instead of him going, no, 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 no. He said, are you kidding me? I would die for you. I'll follow you anywhere. Right there in the presence of Jesus, he would make such a claim about his devotion and his adoration. And yet, when Jesus was arrested, it would be Peter who could not stand up to his vow. Now he's just in proximity of Jesus. And that promise he made gets to be reasoned away for his own safety. See, at this point, when Peter says, I'm going to go out to fish, I have a sneaking suspicion that he just said, I'm going to do what I know to do. This fisher of men thing, disqualified now. Couldn't even stand up for Jesus. Three times he told me this would happen. He looked me in the eye and he said, no, Peter, you will have denied me three times before rooster crows. And then I turned around and I did it. Jesus was taken off to be, to be interviewed and to be questioned in, in his seas. And, and Peter was standing there beside a fire, warming himself. He had been invited into this court house, a court area around a house of the, uh, the chief priest, Caiaphas. And there a servant girl would ask him, aren't you one of his disciples? No. Then, and then immediately following that, some, some servants and, and officers around a group of them said, aren't you still warm in his hands? Oh no, uh-uh, not me. And it would take the person who was the relative of the guy, Malchus, who had his ear taken off by Peter. When Peter was right there in the presence of Jesus and they came to arrest him and he was so, he wanted to defend him because he's right here with Jesus. How dare you do this to Jesus? And he pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. Remember that? It was Malchus's own relative that would look him in the eye right there when he was warming up his hands. Said, no, I, I know you are. I know who you are. I saw you in the garden. He said it a third time. That wasn't me. And cock-a-doodle-doo. Golly. See, when he went to go fish, he now has this history with his relationship with Jesus. So it's in this place that he goes, I'm just going to, I can't do this anymore. I'll just go back to what I do now. Simon Peter told them that he was going to go fish, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, Sea of Galilee, got into the boat. They'd done that so many times before. But that night they caught nothing. Not the first time. Early in the morning, at daybreak, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, Have you any fish? 
The passage later on says it's about 100 yards. Can you imagine a football field, looking down a football field and seeing a figure that distance and hearing that figure say, friends, caught anything? No. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. You know, the first time around when Peter did this, he looked at Jesus right there because he knew who he was when Jesus said, hey, why don't you go out in deeper waters? And he said, we've already done that. We've already, we've, uh, but we'll do it again if you say so, but we've already done that. Don't you find it interesting in this moment? He doesn't even know who this man is a hundred yards from him. At this point, he's like, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? Sure, why not? Y'all just throw the net on the other side. Sure, why not? And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. That sounds familiar. Let's keep reading. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, said to Peter, It's the Lord! And as soon as Simon Peter heard it, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water, <laughs> ready to swim 100 yards <laughs> to get to Jesus. And the other disciples followed in the boat and towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Jehovah Jireh, you got any fish? Already had something to feed them. Was already preparing something to feed those he loved. Gosh, he's good. His goodness is not conditional upon your goodness. He is good. And yet, even in his goodness, he didn't say, caught any fish? No. Mom, I got something for you. That's not what he said. Throw your net on the right side, very detailed. And you'll catch some. When you own everything in the earth, 153 large fish that's so large that it, it has the capacity to break your nets potentially. It didn't, thank goodness. They would have spent time mending them. It didn't break them, but it could have. And he calls it some. What we call abundance, he calls some. Can you imagine when we just go to him and say, this is so much. I just sure hope you can handle it. <laughs> this provision is so great. I don't know, Lord. Oh. Oh, change the way we think. Hmm. They landed. They saw the fire of coals. Let's go right back to that. And there was fish on it and some bread. I doubt it was the last time that Peter stood beside coals. 
But there was a time when Jesus was around and Peter was standing beside coals burning, warming his hands. Let's keep reading. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. I have provision and I want to partner with what I have provided for you and let that provision add into my provision. They didn't go find this fish themselves. On their own, they could do nothing. Jesus, at the very word, and they did what they, he told them to do. Now he has provided all this fish and now is inviting them to bring the fish that they caught. He is so good. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Let's keep reading. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. You know, they'd had a last supper. I guess maybe this one's their last breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than the abundance I just gave you? It now will not only feed you, but you can sell. Do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than these relationships you have? Do you agape me is what Jesus was asking. Do you love me perfectly with no conditions? Regardless of your circumstances. Do you love me? Do you agape me? He said, yes, Lord. He said, You know that I phileo you. You know that I love you with an affection, a brotherly affection. You know that I like you. You know that I enjoy spending time with you. Instead of Jesus correcting Peter, he gave Peter instruction. He said, then feed my lambs. Keep reading. And again, Jesus said in front of everybody, mind you, wasn't a one-on-one conversation off to the side. He's right there in front of everybody listening and watching this exchange. 
It's very important because see, Peter was a leader. That's why they went out to the boat with him. And Peter had done a terrible thing denying Jesus three times. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me with, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of who is talking to you? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, then tend, take care of my sheep. Feed them, take, nurture them. Think Psalm 23 in our message last week. Lead them beside still waters. Take them to pastures that are green to eat. Care if they are not here and they're somewhere else in danger. Tend to them. Third time, third time, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt. Other texts say he was grieved because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Can you imagine what he was thinking when he said that to Jesus? You know everything. You know everything. I can't hide my desire to want to follow you anywhere and everywhere and then my inability to follow through on my promise to you. You know everything. You know I cannot honestly tell you I agape you. Because I've let conditions and circumstances dictate my love for you in front of other people. You know everything. You know I'm limited in what I can do to honestly and and rightly express my love for you. There was a day, Jesus, that I would have quickly said, I got pay you. There was a day, Jesus, that I quickly said that I would do these things for you. But now I'm a sober man. And I've been in relationship with you long enough to know what I'm capable of. And I hate what I'm capable of. I don't like that the circumstances can dictate my love and affection for you. You know everything. You know that I phileo you. And instead of Jesus going, that's not good enough. It's like he's saying, I'll take that. Let's start there. Do what I did, Peter, and feed my sheep. Let's start there. It's amazing to me how many times we can approach God with right heart. Guys, I'm telling you, right heart. But a heart that hasn't quite counted the cost because we don't know maybe even how valuable something really is or isn't in our relationship with Him. It's actually when we've 
disappointed ourselves and disappointed him that we recognize his goodness. It's when we have failed him that we recognize his goodness because his goodness is not conditional upon our goodness. It's actually in our failure that we see it so clearly. Not one time did Jesus ever gloss over the fact that Peter had denied him. Jesus prophesied. He said it was going to happen. It happened. And Peter felt such remorse. He had lost his identity. Jesus had told me this was what I was going to be, a fisher of men. I guess that's not going to work out because I have disqualified myself. And three times Jesus would give him an opportunity to be honest because three times prior he wasn't and every time he said you know I phileo you you know all things three times he got to be honest maybe for the first time let's keep reading very truly I tell you when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted Younger there would imply when you were first starting out. But when you were old, after you've been doing this for a while, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him. (laughs) Then Jesus said to Peter. This is years into their relationship. This is years into making mistake after mistake. And then the just the creme de la creme mistake. I mean, my gosh, how much worse can you be saying? I don't even know who this man Jesus is. And yet Jesus would look at him and the same words he started this relationship out with are the same words he's using to say, just come follow me. Don't let this mistake, as massive as it is, determine your destiny. Come follow me. Nothing's changed, Peter. Nothing's changed about my request for you. Come follow me. Nothing's changed about my commitment to you. Come follow me. Nothing's changed about my destiny for you. But you've got to come follow me. Because you do get to choose. You do get to say, but this mistake disqualifies me. He was sober to it. Please don't hear me say, you just get to gloss over it. You don't. It's serious. But it is not big enough, so big that he can't take his goodness and apply it to your mistakes. And all you got to do is follow him. Taste and see that he is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. Psalm 34, 8. Why would you follow anybody you didn't trust? Therein lies evidence that you do. Because you would be willing to follow him. 
taste. The tongue has over 10,000 of these little bumps on it. Can't really see them, can you? Just know that they're there. Science tells you that they're there. You know they're there when you go and taste barbecue and it's good. These taste buds let you taste things that are salty, sweet, sour, bitter. What would it look like for you to taste even the things that taste, I mean, who doesn't want sweet? I mean, I, I, I go to the menu and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to have for entree based on the selection of sweet desserts. And here's the deal. They're not gluten-free. And they're not full of honey or something. I mean, it's full on just good old-fashioned cane sugar. sugar. I, it's not... But, and yet, I'm just like, but that's the, that's the taste I really want to end up with. Ah, oh, the sweet is so good. What would it look like for us to take our circumstances that's bitter and taste and see that he is good? Do you know what's wild about the tongue? The tongue can do all those tastes and, and distinguish them at the same time. Maybe so there's something sweet in your life here, but ooh, it's sour right here. So that alters God's goodness in the sour? No. His goodness is greater than anything going on in my life. Even the things that I have created. Even the hurts that are self-inflicted. Even the mistakes that were unapologetic in the moment that later I greatly regret. Even there, especially there, is his goodness. Oh, let your desperation and your awareness of your sin and your awareness of your mistake compel you. Let it drive you. Let it be fuel for how fast you get to Jesus when you recognize it's him, it's him. His presence, that's it, that's where it is, his presence. His voice, his provision, oh my goodness, I'm undeserving. And then he gets to ask you these questions and he gets to redeem these moments. Jesus had a process of restoration right there on the side of Galilee. He restored him in front of everybody right back to his rightful place the leader he was destined to be for the church. And he did it all in a short amount of time. He is good. He is good. He is good. Taste and see that he is good. It is said of Jesus in Hebrews that he tasted death. By the grace of God, he tasted death. And yet God is good. Jesus was perfect. There will be things that you taste and it does not determine his level of goodness. He is good. He is good. And for me, spending time with this story in this context has been so great because I'm reminded of Acts Acts 5 or is it Acts 4? I don't remember 
right off the top of my head. Did I write it down? Acts 4. I want you to see, because we get the whole story. I want you to see Peter. Jesus has ascended. He's resurrected. Peter is, is empowered by the spirit of God. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Same place where Peter was warming his hands, going, I don't, I don't have anything to do with this Jesus that you're questioning right now behind closed doors. I don't, mm-mm. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Can you just imagine his shoulders that got pushed back a little bit? Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, unapologetic, he is now. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found. Look at him. Look at him. Do you hear what he's doing? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let me just keep giving you the gospel, Sanhedrin. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, they were just ordinary guys filled with the power of God, which emboldened them. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. God wants to give you victory in the very area that has been your most embarrassing mistake. He will redeem it in the most public of ways if, if, if you will let him. That's how awesome and complete his goodness is. That's how awesome and complete it is. Jesse, I want you to come up here and I want us to sing a song that is very familiar I will taste and see that you are good. You know, sometimes we sing that song in a real reflective place. Like, I will taste and see that you are good. I want us to sing that song with some conviction. Oh, I will taste. I will not let my circumstances dictate your level of goodness in my life. I will taste and I will see that you are good. And if the tastes are sweet, then so be it. And if the tastes sometimes around me feel bitter and sour, you are good. I won't just let somebody shove something in my mouth and and some weird way taste it. I will pick it up and I will choose into this and taste that you are good, that you are who you say you are, despite what's around me and despite my own self. Despite my own deficiencies and my own mistakes, you are good. Despite my own self-inflicted failures, you are good. 
despite the ugly spots in my testimony that I wish nobody knew, you are good. And you will take your goodness and you'll put it on top of that testimony. You'll put it on top of that mistake. You'll put it on top of that nasty, disgusting, slimy part of my own story. And you will turn me into the very person I've always wanted to be. I've desperately wanted to be. You will fill me with the power, the spirit of God. And it will so embolden me that I will literally, without even trying, look like the very person you prophesied I would be. I will taste and I will have my eyes open to see that you are good.